she wasn't scared of letting her customers know there's only two places to get my product, my website directly and Ulta Beauty. If you get it anywhere else, plan on it being counterfeit. And she was that aggressive about it. And even her sisters would go on, Chloe and the rest of them would go on and make those same pitches to their customers and those same appeals to them and say, look, there's been counterfeit cosmetics that are hurting people, almost killing people. There are things out there you have to watch for. So educating your customer, making sure they know that when they're ready to get this product, here's the legitimate places to go and be careful of anywhere else. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Mike Yashevsky, president and CEO of Toltec. Affectionately known as Ski by most of his friends and colleagues, Mike has spent over 19 years as a professional investigator handling matters for individuals, entrepreneurs, attorneys, and numerous Fortune 500 companies. With encouragement and spiritual support from family and friends, Mike launched Toltec and has since become the go-to investigator for countless clients who have come to rely on his efficiency and professionalism. Ski has built an extensive network of professional partners and during his career has investigated and managed case files in all 50 states and over 60 countries. Listen in as Mike shares his personal story and some gems about the work he has done as an investigator. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Mike Yashevsky better known by all his friends as Ski. He is the president and CEO of Toltec. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Hey, thanks, Larry. I appreciate you having me on. Sorry about the timing mix up. (laughs) Yeah, it's all good. You know, it was all on my end, but I appreciate you getting on a little bit early and sharing your story today. I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, for sure. Me as well. Listen, you're in investigations. Can you tell us about your path to founding and now being the president and CEO of Toltec Brand Protection? How'd you get here? When I was in the military, I was in the Coast Guard down in uh, Clearwater Beach, station vacation, as they called it. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. And my career path was really heading down federal law enforcement and approaching and applying for a lot of those departments, marshals, FBI, DEA. I wanted to go down the federal road. Well, as you know, those application processes are so long. In the meantime, I needed a job and I got a job with a small PI firm in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I tell you, it didn't take long for me to fall in love with the freedom of private investigations and operating in a way that isn't so restricted and regulated. And I did work for a number of PI firms before I finally realized that to really grow, to really do things you want, and to really make the kind of money I wanted, I had to start my own shop. I had to start my own agency. And I did that about 10 years ago. And that became Toltec Brand Protection. And its parent company, Toltec Investigations. Awesome. So has this been something that's been in your blood kind of all your life as far as the investigations and the law enforcement piece? I remember as a kid rushing home in grade school to watch a back-to-back rerun episodes of Magnum P.I. (laughs) How much influence that had, because that's not the real world, but 
I always knew I was going to go into some sort of law enforcement. I always thought it was going to be federal or some sworn law enforcement uh, position, but this came along and I just fell in love with it. Awesome. Well, listen, as you mentioned a little bit prior that Toltec has a, a number of different opportunities and things that you guys do. So can you give our listeners a sense of what does Toltec do and who do you work for or with in order to execute that? Yeah. So what I would call our core business, the Toltec brand protection side of the business is investigations being conducted for mainly Fortune 500 companies, large operations that are dealing with either some sort of violation of intellectual property rights. So whether it's counterfeit product, diverted product, trademark violations, patent infringement, anything in that intellectual property space that needs to be investigated. And we work for companies like Coca-Cola, Dish Network, Ford Motor Company, Harley-Davidson, Apple, big companies that have counterfeit issues with their products or component parts of their products. So you named some really big companies there, Fortune 500 brands. So why don't they have their own internal people? Why don't they put somebody like Ski on the books and an employee and have them go out and do these investigations rather than outsourcing it to an organization like Toltec? Yes, some of them do have departments, very small departments and other companies, it'll fall within the legal department or some other marketing arm, sometimes security division. But for the most part, the things we're doing, a couple of reasons they would outsource and use us. One, in the secondary market, we're making a lot of purchases. And so therein lies the issue of making purchases in the secondary market without the targets knowing who it's coming from. So we have all of the undercover accounts, undercover personas, emails, even websites, shell companies registered, with the ability to make payment now, it's kind of interesting. Now we buy and sell product in every manner you could think of, including Bitcoin, Venmo, Zelle, you know, all these sort of apps and newer ways to make payment. And these big corporations can never navigate that piece of it. And that's a big part of what we do for them is acquiring product through purchasing in the secondary market. The other reason is they want to be able to, you know, if something does end up going to a civil case or a criminal trial, they want to have that separation. They want to say, look, we're using an outside investigative services, an objective third party that while they are working for us, they're looking at this from a a standpoint of just documenting, obtaining evidence, creating the report and providing it back to us. All right. So they want that impartiality so they can't say, hey, you tampered it for your own well-being. And that's really why this is where it's at right now. Yep. Absolutely. So does Toltec have a meaning? What does Toltec mean? Is there meaning behind that name? I've never heard that word before. So I'm assuming it's unique to you, your brand, your firm. Is there a meaning behind it? Yeah, well, Toltec is an actual ancient civilization. It was a precursor to the Mayan and the Aztec. The Toltec is an actual civilization. You can look up this sort of warrior spirit that they had. And a lot of the philosophies from the Toltec have kind of been Americanized and updated a little bit to create these what they call four agreements to sort of live by. And I was very much into this Toltec wisdom and in, in this four agreements in my personal life. And so when I started the company, I said, these same four agreements translate to a business, especially an investigative business. And those four agreements are be impeccable with your word, do not make assumptions, do not take things personally, and always do your best. So when we employ those into not only our personal lives, but into the business, it really resonates with the investigations we're doing and the mindset that we have going into those cases. Yeah, I think those are principles. I guess I didn't pay attention enough in anthropology class, but 
it seems like those are tried and true for many, many years because I can see those applying to many things within business, many things within life. And I guess you could say that it's stood the uh, test of time, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I learned a lot from a lot of my business coaches and consultants about having your name mean something when you're starting a business and being able to have the conversation of why you created that. Because in my field, there's a lot of John Smith PI and a lot of Jane Doe PI companies. And so I really thought hard about that. And really, we do incorporate it into our marketing and our messaging, our presentations, our webinars. It's a big part of how we operate. Yeah, I think that's important for most businesses. I mean, my company, whether you're aware or not, is named Mitlin. MIT was my wife's grandfather, Mitchell. LIN was my mom, Linda. They both passed away within several hours of each other. And then my wife and I met. So there's a lot of meaning there. They were two great people with great values that we wanted to instill here at the firm and kind of continue that. And that's how we came up with the name. And And same thing, we're in wealth management, financial services. There are a lot of people that name the firm after themselves, Joe Smith Financial. And we wanted to create an entity that was larger than us that could also potentially outlive our life within the business if we wanted to. So it didn't have to be tied to us. So I think that's an important lesson for most businesses. Yeah, that's awesome, Larry. I mean, give me a little goosebumps there when you told just even that little story. So it's the most asked question we get. You think we're a financial firm? People ask us about returns and things of that nature. But the most asked question we get from clients and prospective clients is, what does Midland mean? Because they know it's not my name or anybody here at the firm. So it's a great way to start a conversation for sure. So what was the impetus? You know, you gave us some idea, Magnum PI was this was all an interest, you know, it was an interest to you. What was really the underlying draw to this line of work for you? Well, when I first started, because I was going through the processes of applying to all these law enforcement departments and and federal agencies and whatnot, I started to really get an understanding of how rigid and how structured some of that was going to be. While at the same time, I was experiencing the freedom of being a private investigator and working for a company that was really great in terms of training. They were really great in terms of helping you understand the entire business, how it works. And I also was, after living in Buffalo for 23 years and finally getting down to Florida, my ideal living destination, I wasn't keen on being sent wherever the the whim of a federal agency would send me. A buddy of mine had just got accepted in the FBI and was sent to Cleveland as his uh, station. And so... All of these things going on and starting a new family. My son was only one year old at the time. And I just didn't want to kind of uproot everything. And I was enjoying what I was doing. I was starting to make some good money as well. And so I chose to stay in the private sector. Nice. So do you miss the snow? Not at all. I love to visit it. (laughs) But All right. I got one more Buffalo question then. So the question is, and I know this is on a lot of people's minds, who has the best wings? I'm a traditionalist. I still go with the original Anchor Bar. Not, okay. not the franchised locations. The right. original Frank and okay. Teresa's right downtown. Okay, so it's the original Anchor Bar for you. Yes. All right, so for those listening, if you find yourself in Buffalo, make sure you get to the Anchor Bar and tell them Ski sent you because those are his favorite. So that's great. So you were talking about earlier that you and your firm help clients protect their intellectual property. How do you do that? I mean, you you gave us some background on that, but 
Is there a way that, how do you go about doing that? And why is it so important today to have that protection and have that ability to have a firm like you help a large corporation protect that intellectual property? Yeah. One of the biggest changes that I've seen, because I'm coming up on my 20th year as a licensed PI, the last 12 or 13 have been specifically in this brand protection space. And one of the things that's changed over time is the barrier to entry in most industries now is lower than it ever has been before. So the ability for someone to damage your brand or damage your reputation or hijack your name and your likeness and your logo and trademark and whatever it is, it's a very low barrier for them to do that. And almost overnight, someone can recreate your website. They can recreate your product and with entrepreneurs, to me, it's not just the big corporations. You know, we've worked with a lot of smaller entrepreneurs and inventors. One of the place counterfeiters love to find the next great product is Shark Tank because they know if that person gets a deal, that product is going to be a hit. And that company generally can't fill the demand because that show is so popular. And so counterfeiters immediately start creating Shark Tank investable products because they know the demand is going to be there and they can flood the market with it. One of the other things that I love is that entrepreneurial spirit of sites like Kickstarter. But the problem with that is you put a product on Kickstarter for a 60-day campaign. In 30 days in, the counterfeiters have already made your product, put it on the market and are selling it all over the world when you're still just trying to collect the money to do your prototype or put out your product. So protecting that intellectual property is so important now, whether you're a big corporation or just starting out. And there's too much going on and the economy is too global now not to pay attention to it right from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of beat me to the punch there. I was going to mention Shark Tank because I think they're at a point now, people who come on there with a single product and that's all they have, you hear that very often from the panelists saying, hey, you know, it's going to be a matter of months, if not days before somebody knocks this off and you're going to either need other products or something there to substantiate this company that we want to invest in. And then the other thing is, I think they started running like disclaimers at the beginning of the end of the show saying, be aware, these are the types of products that you're seeing that have been kind of counterfeited, if you will. So I guess my question is, you know, obviously the big companies, the Fortune 500s, they have the pockets and the wherewithal. What is the entrepreneur that you mentioned or the solo inventor who comes up with a product? Can they really afford to defend their product? Or is it so difficult that they kind of have to just deal with the counterfeiters? Yeah, well, we always tell people you have to do something. And especially when you're an inventor or an entrepreneur and created some product, the first time you see a knockoff version of it or a true counterfeit version of it, it's almost a cause for celebration. Because the counterfeiters, especially in China, are not going to counterfeit anything that's not in demand and in demand globally. So I'll give you an example. We had a Shark Tank client who created like this beautiful and like the softest ever baby blanket. Everyone loved this baby blanket. And the first time it was counterfeited, they were devastated. They were so distraught. And I said, well, wait a second. You know, The first thing to do is recognize that your product is so hot right now and so in demand that someone felt that they wanted to get a little piece of your customer demand. It's flattering. And, and the second thing to do right after that is start to come up with a strategy to protect it. <laughs> so <laughs> celebrate not for long and then start a strategy because... For the smaller entrepreneur or the new product inventor, a lot of it is proactive. A lot of it is educating your customer and your prospect of where to get the right thing, where to get the genuine, 
how to avoid the counterfeit. And I got to tell you, one of the most unlikely advocates for this is Kylie Jenner. When she created her Kylie Cosmetics brand, which she, I think, recently sold last year for like $600 million, right? proves to you how smart she was. She didn't have any problem going on Instagram and explaining to her customers that there are counterfeits out there that you have to be aware of. They're dangerous. They have dangerous chemicals in them. You do not want to put these on your face and lips and eyes. She didn't shy away from it. She wasn't scared of letting her customers know there's only two places to get my product, my website directly and Ulta Beauty. If you get it anywhere else, plan on it being counterfeit. And she was that aggressive about it. And even her sisters would go on, Chloe and the rest of them would go on and make those same pitches to their customers and those same appeals to them and say, look, there's been counterfeit cosmetics that are hurting people, almost killing people. There are things out there you have to watch for. So educating your customer, making sure they know that when they're ready to get this product, here's the legitimate places to go and be careful of anywhere else. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So I think especially for the smaller entrepreneur or even some of the bigger ones, it makes sense to kind of control that distribution a little bit because then you can have that conversation with your customer. If you try to get your product in every single store or every single website to resell, et cetera, it becomes a much more difficult task to actually track and know what's real and what's not and have your customers understand what's real and what's not. So I think that strategy is is an excellent one. It makes a, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because it's awful when you have a product. I, I won't say the exact name, but there was a Shark Tank product and they were selling on Amazon. And as soon as they appeared on Shark Tank, there were a rash of counterfeits being sold on Amazon. And all the negative reviews were about the counterfeit product, not theirs. But the average customer can't distinguish that. And they're just like, wow, why are the reviews 2.5 out of 5 stars? Well, because all of the genuine product was getting 5 stars and all of the counterfeit was getting 1 stars and the sales were about split. And so you ended up with an average review of this product of 2.5 when it wasn't the case. And to your point about controlling where your product's being sold, how it's being distributed, that has to be part of the strategy versus just let's sell every unit we can as fast as we can and every platform we can. Yeah, I could see how that has to be a proactive part of the strategy and not a reactive one where you react once it happens. You really have to have it really deliberate and and go in with the mindset that you're going to have that kind of squared away from the jump. So yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listen, I think you probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I got to imagine you have some great stories from either from your PI days or even from the brand protection days. Perhaps you could share a situation where there was either a really funny outcome or one where even you were concerned for your well-being. Because I can't imagine that every situation you go in and you come out and it was a smooth ride in between. So I'm sure there's some good nuggets in there. Yeah, there's uh, plenty of good stories. You know, we're just laughing today because we had a very interesting week over here with just a handful of like completely different scenarios, completely different cases, which is really what gets me up in the morning. You know, when my phone rings, I just never know like what our client's going to be asking us to do. But one of the highlight cases we worked for Stan Lee's company, the Spider Man creator, before his passing. And I can talk about this case because it's public record, it's in the news. But the gentleman who sort of, he's a con man, he worked his way into Stan's life and was controlling all of his business empire and his entire personal fortune. And we were hired to understand who this person was, 
get them separated from Stan. And thankfully, we were instrumental in his arrest and charges of elder abuse before Stan passed away, which allowed his family to retain his fortune. And it was precarious. I mean, this guy did a really good job of of getting his way into Stan's life. He was living with Stan at his house in California. Some of your listeners might recall the story when the, the SWAT team was called out there and they surrounded Stan's house and This guy was bad news all the way around. He's a career con man and criminal. And we were very, very happy to play a small role in getting that gentleman taken care of. Yeah. I mean, is that a situation where you know from the get-go that there's something not right here and and there's definitely an issue? Or is it something that you kind of have to go into with an open mind and let the facts lead you where they may? Yeah, it was an interesting and unique way that came case to us through Stan's company's attorneys. And it didn't take long to start looking into this quote unquote business manager to realize he had a long history. His entire adult life is centered around various cons and various scams. And and so that part didn't take long. But what uh, the challenging part was really getting enough information and obtaining enough relevant things that law enforcement could get involved. Right. Was there any instances along your career that you did feel concerned for your well-being? Yeah, there's been a few cases. I mean, working in the brand protection space, a lot of the big counterfeit operations are run by organized crime. They're run by international rings of terrorists. The money gets filtered back overseas and is used in other criminal enterprises. And so going into a warehouse and looking through a container of product and not really knowing your targets and sort of being, you don't have a cavalry coming if something happens, you know, you don't have backup sitting down the street and just using your wits and using your experience to just navigate situations like that. But yeah, it's, it's always a little uh, concerning when you're in a dark warehouse and (laughs) climbing through product and looking at things and just really sort of out there on your own. You know, most PIs operate individually. You might have some cases where you're working with a team. We do have a lot of things we put in place as safety measures, but that doesn't help when you're physically out there on your own and trying to make some things happen and dig up information. I would imagine the rush and the adrenaline kind of push you through those situations to some degree. Yeah. The experience of just becoming who you need to become in that moment so that you can create the persona you need to sound believable. And we operate in a space where cash rules as well. So when you're there with money to buy product and get information, that doesn't hurt either. Yeah. So, you know, you bring up a good point. So is there a specific mindset that somebody needs to have if they want to be an investigator like yourself? Is there something that, you know, qualities that you see in these you know people like yourself? Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a lot of different aspects of private investigations. There's investigators who never leave the office. I mean, there's cyber investigations, there's forensic things. But for field investigators, for people doing a lot of surveillance or interviews or undercover work, I mean, you've really got to be able to turn things on and off. You've got to be able to fit in at a polo match at a country club one day, and then you've got to be able to fit in in an inner city basketball court the next day and be able to operate in those areas and know your targets and understand what's going to resonate with them when you want to have a conversation with them. Everything from your mannerisms, the way you dress, the way you speak, accents, I mean, anything that will help you fit in and put the other person at ease. Right. Yeah. So you have to be a little bit chameleon-like in your mindset to some degree. Absolutely. 
being in the business that you're in and investigating folks, I mean, do you have a hard time trusting people after what you've seen and experienced in your career? Well, I think from the brand side, I would say I'm a true loyalist to the brands that I like. Like, I mean, I'll just give you a silly example. Like I wanted a pair of Wrangler shorts. I go to their website (laughs) and I order directly from them. I know if there's a problem, I know right who to go to. I drive a Ford truck. I take it to the dealership. I get genuine motorcraft parts. So that's what is sort of on the brand protection side taught me that know the source of the products you're buying. If you truly want to make sure you're getting the real deal, understand the brand you're buying from, how they distribute, where to best get that product. As you can imagine, I rarely buy anything on Amazon. In fact, all the stuff I buy on Amazon is for case-related things. There's so much counterfeit out there. Same thing with sites like eBay and Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and all these places that you don't really know anymore the third-party sellers that are operating on those sites. Um, Even like Walmart and Sears and Target, they offer third-party platform now for selling. So you're not even getting it directly from the retailer. So that's a big part from the consumer side that I always try to teach people and family. And I tell them, well, where'd you get that? Got it from some guy on Facebook Marketplace. And I'm like, well, so you don't really know where you got it from. (laughs) Right, right, right. Right. So yeah, you don't have boxes like we do coming from Amazon every day. (laughs) You know, it's like, I get that though. Do you think some of these platforms, like the larger ones, like the Amazons and the Walmarts and these large platforms that also do third party reselling, do you at some point foresee them doing some kind of validation process in order to assure that if people are going to those sites and buying from a reseller, that they're actually getting the product? Or is that too expensive of a venture for them to get into and actually monitor? Yeah. And I don't want to beat up the platforms because we work with them and they're doing some things really well. And other things are so difficult because they're just so massive and in scale. And Yeah. I mean, so, I've seen situations where they've had fraudulent products, they've been alerted and within minutes it's taken down. And, yep. and they, I think they do the best as they can. It's just such a massive platform that sometimes it's hard to police. So do you foresee them doing some kind of validation system where are they, yeah, cr- or yeah. is that just so one thing, uh, for example, that eBay's doing, and you may have even seen these commercials recently is in the sneaker market, which is one of the biggest areas of counterfeit and violations. They've actually started a, a program specific to sneakers where they have listings that are verified. There's experts who have held that shoe, whether it's new or a resold collectible shoe or something, and they actually put one of those security tags on it that it's been verified and the buyer can absolutely affirm that it's a genuine sneaker. Now, to do that across multiple products and all sorts of other areas would be very difficult. But Amazon and eBay are both getting better in terms of how they work with the big companies to do takedowns and police product. But you know, the counterfeiter that's got a few listings on Amazon, you can take 100 of his listings down. And tomorrow, those 100 listings will be back up using a different name or a different seller. I mean, it's just massive in its scale. So Really, in my opinion, a big part of it, which a lot of brands don't do well at, is helping their customers understand where to get it and not to drive a demand, even inadvertently, for a counterfeit product. Some of that is just based on price. Some of it's based on just educating your customer. Yeah. So my son resells sneakers. So I get that. And actually, he uses a company called Goat quite a bit which they actually do that verification. When he sells them, he ships it to them. They verify that it's real. And then it forwards to the end seller. 
and you feel that extra level of comfort. And recently, he bought a pair of shoes for himself through Goat, and he was a little disappointed because it passed the verification process, but it came through and was actually sent from China. And typically, it comes from the States. It was the only time he's ever gotten a shipment from China. And when he got it, there were some things that were off. So he actually has, there's an app out there that you take certain pictures of the sneaker. And for a couple of bucks, they'll verify it through an app. And now he's working with them to get a refund because there were some inconsistencies. He's not 100% sure that it's a uh, knockoff, but he's been in the shoe business long enough that it just didn't feel right. And then the fact that it came from there, it kind of added to the... uh uncertainty. So like you said, I think you can put processes in place to make it better. I don't know that you're ever going to eliminate it completely, you know? Right. And to to your point about that story, I mean, the counterfeiters are getting better and better at creating what now is more of a high end. You know, if we talk about sunglasses, we do a lot in the sunglass space. Before, all you had to look for is $20 knockoff sunglasses and you knew it was counterfeit. Now they're making a counterfeit that's only slightly less quality and is listed at 20, sometimes 15% off. So it just looks like a good deal. It doesn't right. look like a wild, too good to be true type price. And so counterfeiters are putting out much higher quality handbags and luxury goods and apparel and sneakers and all those type of things that consumers are looking for and then selling it at a price that just looks like a nice sale. Right. Which makes you not double check or double right. think that there's an issue because you're like, hey, it's just a, they're trying to get rid of them. It's a good deal. So what are the next big steps for Mike Ski and Toltec? What's coming up? What's coming down the pike as far as big things ahead for you? Yeah. So we're happy to announce just last week, we launched our new website at our same domain, toltech.net, and really starting right now an outreach campaign to really help brands understand everything that's happening now that we're sort of getting through the pandemic. Last year, a lot of big companies, especially, were sort of in panic mode. They were like, let's focus on sales. How are things shifting? What are we going to do during this time frame to keep our sales up, to keep product fresh, to keep customers happy? And during that time in 2020, a lot of eyes were taking off what the counterfeiters were doing. And they had a field day. We have not seen this level of counterfeit product flooding into the country. The seizures that you see, all the stuff with the PPE and the counterfeit masks and the counterfeit vaccines and the counterfeit gloves and all these other things. The counterfeiters have used this time in which companies are so focused on sales and bottom line and profitability and who's working from home and who's coming back to the office, you know, right. taking their attention off of the secondary market, which has just allowed a whole new era of counterfeit. And so we're working with these brands to understand what happened last year, what's going to happen this year. They start looking now at the holiday shopping season already and what they need to keep their focus on to protect their market share, especially those who have, have sort of lost some of their market share. Yeah, well, I mean, online sales in 2020 went through the roof because of the pandemic. So that just was a field day for these counterfeiters because there was such a surge in buying. So it just created a great opportunity for them. So listen, as a complete aside, I'm a big fan of CNBC's Greed. I love that show. I find it fascinating. I find it interesting as far as some of the things that people get away with. I think it's crazy things I would never even would never even cross my mind. Have you ever been involved in any of those investigations of those? 
things, people that have been shown on the, on that show? Yeah, I can't say which ones, but we have worked on cases in the small aspect we played a part on uh, four cases that have ended up on American Greed. Wow, that's and fascinating, that show. <laughs> the interesting part to me about the American Greed show is that the perpetrators of those crimes generally could not have grown to the level they did without also the greed of the people they were conning. Oh, of course, the people, yes. you know, The inadvertent demand for something that was probably too good to be true or something that was that they know maybe they should have investigated a little more before they invested that money or, or spent it. So, I mean, there's only a few Bernie Madoffs who had everybody fooled for 30 years, but a lot of these guys come out of nowhere and just created those empires based on other people's greed as well. So it, yeah, it goes hand in hand. You know, I always look at it from the demand side. Like, why is this happening? Someone's only filling this demand for someone who thinks they're going to get a 50% return on their money right? because there's someone out there who's hoping they can't. The perpetrator can't do it alone right. you know, in, in most of those <laughs> cases. It's fascinating. So listen, Mike, it's been a pleasure. We end every show with asking our guests all the same questions. So Ski, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Well, I'm happy to say that that one of the things that that was joyful today is that I was calculating our quarterly bonuses for our employees. We didn't have the ability to do that the last few quarters in 2020. You know, we saw a little change in our business. And so being able to take care of my employees and help them succeed as part of the overall success of the company, it always makes me feel good. I never don't like cutting those checks. Yes. Listen, happy people, happy life, happy wife, happy life, happy employees makes for a happy work environment. So, uh, well, congratulations for that. We'll have this in the show notes, but if people want to learn more about Toltec, want to learn more about you, what's the easiest and best place for them to do that? Yeah, the best place is our our main website, toltec.net, T-O-L-T-E-C.net. You can also learn more about me specifically at mikeskipi.com. And I'm all over the place. I mean, if if you Google me, you'll find me. We're doing training for PIs. We're doing webinars for brands. We're doing a podcast uh, for private investigators. And so I'm easy to find. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing, Mike. And I, I appreciate you coming on and telling your story and sharing it with our audience and our listeners. And remember, make it a great day. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Larry. I appreciate it. I want to thank Mike Yashevsky Ski for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. Ski has had an interesting career and makes sure that every case assigned to Toltec is handled efficiently, and he endeavors both personally and professionally to follow the four agreements of the Toltec philosophy. Be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. Ski can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement.
The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.